Hello and welcome to the Related to Geeks book club. This month's book is Armada by Ernest Klein. And as always, this is a completely spoiled discussion. So if you have not read the book, you have been warned. And I suggested this book, and I mentioned to you previously, Dad, right before, that I got to a certain point in this book and kind of stopped caring about this book. So I don't know how you felt overall about it, but I got kind of lukewarm about halfway through. Um, I liked it halfway through. I I've thought it had a weak ending. I um, thought there were a lot of problems with the book, but still an entertaining read. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Ernest Klein proves to be even more geeky than he was in Ready Player One, so that's interesting. Yeah. The book wasn't great. You know, um, it wasn't as good as Ready Player One. And Ready Player One had issues, but not the way this book does. So, mm-hmm. uh, but, um, like I say, I enjoy reading books that aren't great. In some ways, I read for escape or to pass the time, more or less, yeah. you know. And um, if I read all really good stuff all the time, it would drive me crazy. Uh, most, <laughs> of, most of the stuff I read is just entertaining narrative you know, I just want to uh, enjoy it, you know. Um, yeah. But that said, I am in the middle of a reread on a really great trilogy, uh, The Jack Vance Lioness, which is the book I chose to read, I think maybe one or two after Armada. And uh, so some really good books are really good and not exhausting at all. And other really good mm-hmm. books are like the... Um, the really good book we read earlier this year, uh, Neuromancer, I believe. Um, yeah. That was really good and exhausting. <laughs> yeah. And I Well, found that's what I'll say. It's, Armada is a super easy read. Um, yeah. There's not really anything that's taxing about it. My main issue was right when it was supposed to get interesting for some reason it got boring for me (laughs) and i don't know why like right when it got to the point where it's just like let's blow this whole thing wide open and send this guy to the moon i'm just like all right for some reason i'm bored with this part i don't know why i was kind of into it up until that point but once it went really like into the the science fiction of it all i i didn't enjoy it as much and i'm not completely sure why if it was just rushed, I feel like the second half of the book may have felt rushed for me. Like, I felt like the book started like 200 pages in the into the book. And I knew that it wasn't going to feel satisfying with the amount of book that was left. And so I kind of checked out. That's what I my, feel like my reading experience was like. Like, I realized how much I still wanted from this book and how much was left in the page count and I knew it wasn't going to be satisfying. So I was just like, yep, I'm over it. (laughs) Well, um, you mentioned science fiction and uh, there are science fiction elements throughout the book, but uh, I don't really see it as a science fiction book. And the reason, the main, my main hang up on the whole battle part and all that is inertialist space travel. I mean, it's an inch away from teleportation. And (laughs) it's just, you know, I just can't get to where the guy 
gets an actual ship and starts flying. I mean, I mean, he's not an actual. Yeah, he is. I think he went to Jupiter, and he's flying to Jupiter, and like ten minutes later, he's there. You know, what I mean, that that ain't the way it works. <laughs> I. I've, I've read too much science fiction that actually thought out the space travel aspects of it. <laughs> That's the way it works in video games. So, <laughs> just fast travel that. Yeah, it is a little, it is a little, um, it is a lot more video game literature than it is science yeah. fiction. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing with Ernest Cline is I think Ernest Cline pulls his sources from pop culture more than actual science. And so all of his stuff, you kind of have to have an understanding that it's not really realistic. Now it made more sense in the virtual reality of Ready Player One because it was built to be the, that kind of world with those kind of mechanics. But with this, this is the actual world. And so when stuff doesn't fit into what we know scientifically to be true, then you really notice how how little research you may do in some of those areas. Yeah, and also another thing that's um, a little weird about this book is it was set up from the start that, oh, it's bots, fighting bots, and you're running bots, and you're, you know, and it's not actually people fighting each other. It's just they're at a console and you're at a console and when you die you don't die your ship dies you know and it's a physically mm -hmm. real ship but it's bots fighting bots uh, but then at the end it's that ends and everybody starts dying like crazy and it's uh, it, there's a jar there and um, yeah and that was probably unnecessary I don't know I didn't plot it out you know I didn't write the book um, uh, I I think it would have been more interesting if he could have kept it, um, you know, uh, bots or whatever they're called when you run a uh, a little airplane or drones. a spaceship. Drones, yeah, drones. Uh, if they had kept it all drone war, where all the war was actually drones, and instead of people dying. Um, the going to the moon uh, didn't make a lot of sense. Um, <laughs> why they were on the moon, don't really know. I'm sure. I'm sure if I read through again, I could figure out where they explained it. But his his father not actually dying when he was 19 years old was not a surprise. Um, but, yeah. But um, he was possibly the most suicidal character I've ever you know really encountered where time after time after time he did the, the thing that was most likely to get him killed um and uh that couldn't be good on his son <laughs> Just, uh, mm -hmm. and he he died when he was 19 and that was fake and then he died again but his son saved him you know but he you know and then he actually died so that wasn't so great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I get uh, the I get the not caring after a while, you know. Yeah. 
Well, and I think the other thing that I had trouble with is that it spent quite a bit of time in the front end introducing a lot of characters and talking about a lot of characters that ultimately didn't matter and then introduced a whole nother batch of characters within the la like latter half of the book that didn't really have time to develop. Um, and it just, it kind of felt like one of those books again where the characters all took a back seat to the plot and the plot, when you remove all of the, the funny references and the gimmicks of it all, and this is probably true of Ready Player One as well, um, the plot itself isn't isn't that well developed or interesting. Um, so it just it doesn't have a lot to keep my attention, but I would say that you know your main character and perhaps the dad are your two char characters that are actually developed in any way, and everybody else is just kind of there. And it seems it really felt like a book that was split down the middle. And neither neither half of the book was really fully developed the way I wanted it to be. Uh, I think it was more of a, a, a framework for Ernest Klein to hang his video game and science fiction pop culture geekiness onto rather yeah. than a novel. Mm -hmm. um, like you said, the you know, he had a girlfriend at the beginning that he'd broke up with. And then he had a girlfriend at the end, you know, in the second half. The, um, and uh, uh, it's also um, very, and oh yeah, the girlfriend at the beginning, she's like a cardboard cutout. You know what I'm saying? And the girlfriend in the second half is a much more interesting character, but you don't really see her much. She pops yeah. in to, She pops in to save their butt, but you don't really get to see her much. Uh, or so I mean she may have developed as a character but we don't know it you know and character development I mean the whole novel start to end is like two days so you can't really get a whole lot of character development you know and there's some time discontinuities in that too the bully at the beginning shows up at the end and he's all changed in two days or three days and when did he ever get trained to be a soldier? You know, and he's now mm -hmm. he's uh, um, had his legs blown off or something. You know, I don't know. It, uh, the, the time uh, span, the, the inertialist travel, the going from Jupiter to Earth in hours, um, that all distracted. It made it hard for me to get behind all that. Yeah. Um, the father... Uh, 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 putting himself in one suicidal situation after another, uh, it wasn't wasn't great. You know, it it made you it made it hard for you to like the guy, even though he was doing heroic stuff. Um, but was he really just trying to kill himself or what? You know, um, he was a he was a freak, and the whole premise, <laughs> the whole premise of this 19 year old kid is going to be so important to saving the world that we have to fake his death and nobody can know about it. It's just, I don't know, that whole startup was kind of stupid. Um, mm -hmm. Now, um, when I listened, the beginning chapter um, read well. When I read it, 
it all read kind of awkward all the way through. But when I listened, the beginning chapter read well, and then I listened to the second chapter. And man, um, it had that list from the, his dad's notebook, and he was like, oh, and it was Will Wheaton reading it too, which was interesting. Yeah. But, but uh, um, and he read that list, and I thought, man, I didn't, I didn't even read the list when I read the book, you know what I'm saying? And, uh, um, and then it just went into a whole chapter of video game geekiness that, you know, weird. Um, how much detail do we need on all these games? And some of the games was video game geekiness. Another was his made-up video game geekiness. So he put a lot of work mm-hmm. into the games that he made up for this. And I don't know, maybe he's hoping that a company will pick up on it. <laughs> I mean, he's got a pretty good spec, you know. Um, but uh, uh, it's... a. Uh, it was interesting. Okay, um, now for some of the stuff that I want to talk about that's not in the book. <laughs> so, when I started reading it, I thought, man, this is a setup for Ender's Game. You know, that's what this book is, Ender's Game. And then Ernest Klein did an interesting thing that he did quite a bit. He became all self-aware about how this was all just like Ender's Game. So, of course, it couldn't end like Ender's Game. But, I don't know, have either of you read Ender's Game? I have not. Okay. Who wrote it? Uh, uh, Orson Scott Card. Orson Scott Card. I may have. You probably read Ender's Game. But then there was an Ender's Game novel, and then there was like a trilogy or a quaternion or something that went after that. Um, But the short story is the best piece of literature of all of the Ender's Game stuff. Okay? And um, it's really terrible. Um, uh, Every character in it is a terrible, awful person. And the (laughs) success at the end of the game is the genocide of an entire star-faring species. Um, So... And there's a lot of interstellar genocide in science fiction, you know. But um, that's not the most terrible thing. Is that the most terrible thing is that um, the premise is is that they pick up an eight, eight-year-old kid off the street who's like an alpha survivor, um, has no support, just him taking care of himself on the street. Um, and they're... They send him to school to be the next Napoleon against the bugs, you know, the aliens. And um, he proves to be a great general and a terrible person, and then he does the genocide. Um, And it's so horrific, one, that the kid does that, and two, that all the generals in the army are tailoring him to do this. And I'm, you know, I get it, they're in a war, and they almost lost before they, you know, yeah, they're, they're scared, you know, and, um, uh, but, uh, uh, this game started just like Ender's game, you know, kind of, uh, except you didn't know you were training, um, but, uh, uh, it ended completely different than Ender's game, um, in that it was all a setup, um, uh, and that was uh, 
So um, there is a, um, a literary term for where in the last chapter God reaches down and fixes things. Mm-hmm. It's a French term. But anyway, um, instead it was these aliens. They decided, okay, we can turn it off because this one kid did something right after everybody else had been doing everything wrong for the last 20 years. Um, yeah. And, and um, it, it wasn't a very fulfilling ending. Ender's Game um, right. had a really fulfilling ending. Um, there was mentions in this book of kids reading Ender's Game and wanting to be Ender. You know, getting into Star Trek, wanting to be Picard or wanting to be Data, whatever, you know, um, seeing themselves in those roles. But, man, how could you read Ender's Game and want to be Ender? But that's the way Orson Scott Card set it up. I mean, you like Ender. He's the protagonist, obviously, and you identify with him. And uh, even when he does terrible stuff, it's somehow justified. Um, so this this kid in this book... He was like one of those kids who read Ender's Game and wanted to be Ender and uh, wanted to actually be, you know, like Galaxy Quest. Wanted these stories to be real, you know. Um, so uh, that's just a little bit about uh, uh, Ender's Game and how this fits into that um, larger um, science fiction picture that was actually, you know, um, from about 50 years ago. I mean, I read it when I was young. So I thought that was interesting. Uh, He did that quite a bit. He had parallels that were obvious up from the front, and then the next thing you know, the protagonist is talking about how, oh, this is just like whatever the reader already knew it was just like. And uh, Mm -hmm. um, so that was a little trick. You know, a little gimmick, and that and that kind of worked. Um, the other comparison is obviously you want you compare it to Ready Player One, which was a longer story. Had some of the same kind of ending problems, um, because if you won this video game, then you became the richest person in the world, kind of thing. Um, uh, had the the poor kid. Whereas um, uh, Zach in Armada was not really poor. Um, he was going to high school. He was a high school kid with friends. I mean, uh, but uh, in Ready Player One, that kid was not not like Ender, but he was definitely taking care of himself. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, Ready Player One had some of the same girlfriend problems where he had a girlfriend and it wasn't really didn't really work right it was weird um uh, uh so well, and it's funny because you mentioned like ready player one being a longer story and i kind of felt like it felt like a longer story um but page count wise it's about the same length um it's really over a longer period of time i think um, or something, something that makes it develop differently. But yeah, I felt like this book, Armada, was one of those that I read through really quickly because 
like I said, I feel like it didn't really get to the story part of the book until like about 200 pages in. And it's only like a 360-something page book. Um, so, you, if it takes you 200 pages to get to where you really feel like the story starts, and I, like those first 200 pages are just set up, you're over halfway through the book just on setup on a fairly short book, I think that was my kind of disconnect. And um, what we've talked about with Ernest Cline, and I think that it's a, a known problem with his writing, is he writes for the reference rather than the story. Um, he really, he really has just a like encyclopedic knowledge of all of this fiction, video game knowledge, just in his brain at all times, and he writes to that rather than developing a really interesting plot with good character development and like a, a, a well-rounded story. Um, there's a lot of characters that just kind of feel like they're plopped in without actually having any real bearing on the story, and for me, the references are only going to carry it so far. Like, I'm just like, yeah, cool, you mentioned this, like, obscure movie from the 80s, but what's, what's happening with our characters? Like, what's their, <laughs> what's their motivations? C explain that to me, please. <laughs> yeah, and a lot of that first half of the book that was um, uh, so uh, geek-oriented, you know, details about all of these different science fiction things and stuff and video games, uh, turned out that you read it and you go, man, what a geek this guy is, you know, and then you realize, oh, and this is all really exposition. And uh, uh, yeah. as you know, I hate exposition. I didn't hate this exposition <laughs> as much because it was it was uh, disguised as geek uh, geek literature. And I think that's what this uh, this has to be seen as a kind of a tribute yeah, to yeah. video games and literature. And um, you know, Galaxy Quest did it before before, and um, Spaceballs did it before. You know, uh, it's there's nothing new about what he's doing here, um, and he's deliberately developing it from Ender's Game and other references like that, um, uh, the Atari video games are such a big thing in this novel, which everybody's forgotten completely about all those Atari video games now, but uh, <laughs> they were big in this novel. Um, Oh, and the girl that his new girlfriend being an ultra hacker and all that. And there was one interesting point she made um, is that um, she was hacking these new devices, you know, and she was she immediately went to look for the back doors, you know, and all that. And uh, Zach says, well, how did you know there were back doors? And she says, of course, they're back doors. They're not going to give you these things without being able to spy on you, you know, so. That, that was an interesting mm -hmm. point that she made. Um, it reminded me a little bit of Little Brother by Cory Doctorow that we read earlier. Um, except that... Mm -hmm. Except that Cory Doctorow's science was all correct. <laughs> and this science yeah. and this was all video game. You know. Now his video game references, I'm sure, were all correct. You know. Yeah. It's just the science fiction side of it was not correct. 
Yeah, I think I just felt that what I go to books specifically for, um, this is, I don't know, I feel like this is kind of like a cool concept to have a lot of history of all of this um, geek culture blended into this story that's a really digestible story that young readers will pick up and learn about stuff from the 80s or whatnot. Like, I like the concept of it, um, but for me, I feel like I would rather read, like, a really good science fiction book and then a history of video games book and call it a day. (laughs) (laughs) Rather than this weird, you know, mashup that doesn't really do either of them complete justice. I think... Um, one of the reasons that Ready Player One was more successful is that it was dealing in virtual reality, um, which still isn't really where he envisioned it. And it certainly wasn't where he envisioned it when he wrote it. So his futuristic Mm -hmm. part of, of Ready Player One was interesting on its own. Virtual reality at the time was clearly a concept and clearly a thing people were working on, but we were nowhere near where him and his hacker buddies were in virtual reality. Um, uh, This book, however, everything in it feels like an old video game. Nothing's in the future. There's no forward thinking like there was in Ready Player One. So, an odd thing that I was reminded of when reading this book was Carl had discussed the idea of writing or filming a a zombie story in which all of the people who played video games were much better at killing zombies. Not because of any actual, like, you know training that was built in that was all people weren't aware that they were getting trained specifically for that but it was specific because people who played video games all the time always went for the head because it was more points to get a headshot (laughs) and so that was they were more effective at killing zombies because they were always aiming for the heads whereas anybody who was actually military trained were doing body shots (laughs) Yeah, and um, uh, playing video games, um, I mean, it doesn't take very long to where you dissociate your target from the human that formerly was that zombie. Um, So if you played a bunch of video games, oh, it's a zombie, boom, 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 you know. And if you didn't play a bunch of video games, uh, it's kind of like a person there, (laughs) you know. What I'm getting is that mom would have no problem killing zombies. (laughs) (laughs) I really feel like, and I knew when we sat down to talk about Armada, that I was going to sum it up pretty quickly and not have a whole lot. Like, there's things that we could discuss, but none of it's particularly interesting to me. The idea of using video games to, like, secretly train the Earth's population to be pilots. Um, I mean, I guess there's something there, 
I feel like, again, they didn't do enough with it to make it really interesting. And also, you know, it's just, it, it falls back on that. And it, people said it so many times in this book that it got, like made me roll my eyes. I was just like, see, I wasn't wasting my time playing all those video games. I did make something of myself because of this random thing that I had no knowledge of that just happened to be a thing that was happening and I'm just like no that's not that's not really a good justification <laughs> just just play video games because you enjoy them and if somebody gives you crap about them be like listen this is a thing I enjoy doing quit giving me crap and be, it's going to be fine <laughs> don't be like you should play video games because maybe there's some kind of like government conspiracy that's going to be <laughs> making that like a valuable thing for you in the future <laughs> but yeah anytime anybody said see I didn't waste my time playing all those video games I just rolled my eyes <laughs> <laughs> it just seemed like a weird thing that was shoehorned in as a justification for something that the audience that you're writing to doesn't need justification for like you don't need to like have a justification for why you it's okay to spend time playing video games to an audience that's going to read something like Armada. They get it. <laughs> yeah, and his mom was a really great character and uh, one of the, you know, more um, admirable people in the book. And um, yeah. and yet she was all like, here's this kid about to graduate from high school and what are you going to do in the future? What are you going to do with your life? Blah, blah, blah. And other than that, she was so wonderful, you know. But, man, when kids are 18, they have no idea what's going on in their future. <laughs> yeah. To be fair, though, I did like the fact that she was just like, you're really into video games. You should do something with video games. Yes. You know? That's That was awesome. And that's something that I think is a nice way of framing it. Like, because there are... There is a whole growing industry of, of jobs available if you're interested in video games. Um, of all kinds. And, you know, they talked about some of them and talked about some of them being very boring because jobs that exist within them. But just because you're spending a lot of time playing video games doesn't necessarily mean that you aren't acquiring skills that could help you in a career later. And it doesn't even have to be saving the Earth from domination of, like, a bunch of alien drone ships. Um, it can be something as simple as being a game reviewer or, you know, a game journalist or a game maker or something like that. I mean, I think that that's a, a thing that they kind of hinted at in there and the front end. And I don't know, like, I feel like so rushed and wasn't really well researched and kind of took you out of the story like I think I would have enjoyed the story more had it just been I have a weird eccentric father who was really passionate about all of this nerdy stuff who died who I'm trying to learn about through his collection of pop culture stuff and it just been that I think that would have been a more interesting story for me without having to have the big first contact and war with aliens and all that just uh, 
just yeah. to see that character deal with that situation of being mm-hmm. so much like the father that he never knew and yet has all this stuff to tie him to you know to to realize how much like him he is and that's that's one part of the story that that was kind of good you know it just went off from there into uh some weird crap and then with it yeah <laughs> i can live with the book being real good and having an unsatisfying ending but if a book's not going to be real good then it's got to have at least a satisfying ending you know and this ending was really weird and again you had zach himself telling you how weird it was i mean i mean you got took out of the story constantly um uh were yeah yeah this is, and and zach another th- weird thing about zach is that he would always make a decision and then five minutes later change it 180 degrees and then that was his decision now he usually stuck with that you know but but that happened about 10 times in the book, you know. I'm like, whoa, this guy's easily persuaded or something. <laughs> and that poor guy who owned the game store who had to spend, he was in the army and he was a sergeant and he had to spend like 10 years in this game store cultivating this kid because somehow they all knew that he was going to be a top gamer and save the world in this battle yeah it's just (laughs) the guy's a neat character you know (laughs) he was a better character when he was just a weird game geek than he was when he was a sergeant in the army yeah i would have loved to have his like just if i was like extremely successful and basically had myself you know in a place of being independently wealthy and I got to just choose what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. Just opening up a big nerd store and just hanging out in a big nerd store sounds like a pretty sweet way to do it. <laughs> I mean. Yeah, his his cover story was more interesting than his life. <laughs> um, you're going to read the Epic of Gilgamesh. And I have selected a suggested translation which okay, is the Andrew ahead. George translation. I did a little bit of poking around, and this seems to be a pretty popular one. Um, and it is available on archive.org. So we're going to have that link available. Um, okay, good. And I will post a link in the Related to Geeks book club group Woo-hoo. on Gamer+. Plus. Thank you for listening to the Related to Geeks Book Club. We'll be back again with Epic of Gilgamesh next month. Link will be on uh, GamerPlus.org. Go check it out. Woo! Yay! You have been listening to the Related to Geeks Book Club, recorded August 18th, 2020 in the Gamer Plus chat rooms at Tanker's Tavern on Discord. For more about our geeky family, visit relatedtogeeks.com. For more information about the book club, go to Gamer Plus, a social network for gamers at gamerplus.org. 
Megan and Larry discussed Armada by Ernest Klein. The music for this show is Enigma Warrior by Subatomic Blue, a free culture band working in the video game rock genre. Baba Brinkman is a rapper who does a kind of summary of the Epic of Gilgamesh in like a 10-minute song, and it's fantastic. Oh, really cool. (laughs) 